Hi there! Back from a week off, and this week I had to learn how to do something I have not done in a very long time in this studio. Stand by for details on that. Also today, lots to discuss on Loblaws freezing prices on the no-name brand until early 2023. We at first thought, hey, is this a good thing? But as many of our listeners pointed out, maybe it's not such a good thing. We spoke with architect and urbanist Brent Bellamy, who weighed in on what he thinks some of the key issues are for the civic election. And on that civic election front, voter turnout in B.C. over the weekend for their municipal elections was kind of lousy. And we asked you... If you have any long-standing group traditions, I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. This is the Monday, October 17th podcast for The Start. Hi there, Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Back together again, the three of us, but two of us... After two and a half years of sitting in this studio alone, for the most part, I think there was a two-month stretch in August of 2020 to October 2020. Mackling's back in the studio! I can see you. I won't touch you. It's weird. I won't throw anything at you, but I could if I wanted to. <laughs> Be honest, Brett. Be honest. Do you actually like staring at someone's face? How <laughs> do you know I don't? <laughs> I know you don't. I've been worried that you've become more and more like, just like, don't look at me. Don't make eye contact with me. Yeah. I, I, I'm I, jealous. It's, it's, we just, yeah, we, you're the missing piece of the puzzle. We just need to get you back in studio. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird to be back, first of all. I woke up in a, I woke up at 1 a.m., 1.30, 2 a.m., 2.30, terrified to sleep in because that's what happened on the last Friday before my week off. We have an official title for what happened on uh, Brett's Friday before holidays, Loren. We're calling it the big sleep in. <laughs> the big sleep in. It happens, man. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. But you're back. You're back together. It means we're like getting inching our way back to normal. That's right. I guess. Hopefully soon we'll get you back. Would you? Would you? Would you want to come back though? Because I, I know some. There are some of if us. If I can be in the same space as you guys, for sure. Yeah. If I'm like in a closet down the hallway, no, thank you. <laughs> in a closet, there with like a like a sh- shovel and. Uh, it's an apt description. You know, like closet. It's an it's an actual closet, and like you don't even know what's going on outside. Like you come out of there like a like a vole, like a mole rat <laughs> coming out, like. Trying to find your way to surface, and then you're like, oh, there's sun, or it's snowing outside, or people live here, there's lights. I, no, if I have to come back to a closet, no thank you. A vole <laughs> like that. Um, but yeah, I had uh, terrible, ter- my body is in absolute disarray right now, so I think the first words I said to you were, I'm going to nap so hard today after a week of staying up late. Like, there are a couple of days where I was up past my wake-up time, my usual wake-up time. So then to go back to it, to go back to it uh, this morning was like, it's just a shock to the system. Everything inside me. It's incredibly healthy, as we know, all these uh, changing sleep patterns. It's not good for us, but for whatever reason, we do it anyway. I was up until 1, 1 1.30 on Saturday night. I had to watch the Blue Bombers uh, play the Lions in a game that didn't mean anything in the standings. But the way those teams played, you would never know. And I guess it was a very meaningful game for BC, but the Bombers gave them all they could handle, even with Drew Brown at backup. And then San Diego Padres, my word. They wrapped things up against the Los Angeles Dodgers. My phone was ringing off the hook. 
at uh, 12, 15, 12, 30, 1 o'clock from various people right across the country, including our friends over at the King's Head, knowing that I would be celebrating. That was a big gamble on their part to call me at that hour, but they did, and I salute them for doing so. He's wearing the Padres sweater, Loren. He's wearing the proud brown and gold. One of the, My how eyes many, glazed over whenever he talks about Padres, I'll be honest. Yeah, how many, how many Padres fans do you think there are in this community, <laughs> Mackling? Uh, about five. five. <laughs> Three of them live in my house. <laughs> and I don't mean three others. <laughs> Just three total in my house. Hey, Loren, I wanted to ask you um, for about last week before I forget. My Last week, my allergies were out of control. There was one day where... Like I was bordering on thinking, do I should I take a COVID test? Because I was just blowing my nose constantly. I think that was Wednesday uh, that I was have. Did you have any issues last week with the sniffles? No, I've I've been okay. I did take a couple COVID tests in the last well end of August and again at the end of September, early October. I don't know if you count like a full body hive situation I got going on as an allergy problem, but other than that, no, I'm great. Oh, geez, um, yeah, the hives. I haven't never had. I have no idea what that's like. It's been like, I think, I think it was five when I had it and it lasted for, I don't know, a day, I guess. I can't even remember what triggered it. You ever had that before, McNabb? Yep. But not since I was a kid. I think it's usually heat related for me because of my pale, pale skin. I get too much sun or too much heat and then my body rejects the sun. So I go back to my closet. But uh, no, I haven't had this happen before, but I think allergy season should be relatively closely wrapping up for folks because it's cold out there now. There's nothing left to live. Everything's dying. Winter weekend. Brutal. (laughs) What a brutal weekend weather-wise. It was terrible. The last few days have been terrible. And and indeed, like after, I think it was after Wednesday, the allergies seemed to calm down, but it was just this weird, like mid-October allergy Mm -hmm. fit that I had. And I was really frustrated. And my dad's been having issues with his allergies as well. So feel free to let us know if you've been having similar problems at 204-780-6868. By the way, we are, we have migrated to our new text system. So uh, we're all sort of learning the the nooks and crannies of this. So if we don't reply or if we miss a text, uh, take no offense. We're just getting you getting our bearings here. So I got to get my bearings on just getting back to work. I got to get our bearings with having Mackling in studio. And we got a new text line as well. Is it working on your end, Loren? Yeah. I, well, I'm sending texts out. I don't know who's getting them, okay. but it's working for me. Okay. Mackling, working for you? Working for me just okay. fine so far. Okay. I want to talk now about voter turnout because, you know, when it comes to elections, I have, uh, it's no, been no secret that uh, I often just have very little interest in the federal elections or the provincial elections. It's just the same thing. It's around and around we go. We've got the liberal, at the federal level, it's either the liberals or the conservatives. At the provincial level, it's either the progressive conservatives or the NDP. But the municipal election is the one I get excited about because mm. it's a wild card. And this, there's so many candidates this time of the round. I'm really curious to see how this is going to play out. So you're more engaged in this in this election because there's no party system. That's right. And it, yeah. it, anyone's ball game. <laughs> okay. So I think we talk often, as you said, about like how engaged we are in election time. And we're asking this morning, do you care? Do you vote? 
uh, because we have some numbers you, we want you to consider. So like in the last federal election, which was, of course, just last fall, 76% of us, 76% of Manitobans weighed in on who they thought should be their MP and who should be prime minister. On the last provincial election, 55% of Manitobans voted. In the last civic election, just 42% of Winnipeggers voted. So you've gone from three quarters of people voting in a federal election last year to less than half of people voting in a civic election last time around. And that 28 election was actually the lowest voter turnout since 2006. And in some words, Greg, like Point Douglas, like 30% of people voted. So it's, it's when you talk about the fact that you can weigh in heavily on the person representing your area, but you might have had as low as 30% turnout, that's really incredibly sad, I'd say. If I had the answer as to why this was happening, I suppose I'd be sitting at a different desk speaking to different <laughs> people. But, I, you know, I wonder if people are just jaded or if they get to the point where they imagine nobody's going to do what they say they're going to do anyway. So why should I bother voting? And then uh, there's uh, sometimes just this genuine lack of engagement. We've also speculated about maybe it's the ease of voting over the weekend you're able to vote at garden city shopping center saint Vital shopping center at ikea so i think the city has gone a long way in terms of trying to find innovative ways innovative places for you to vote so it will be fascinating to see if things translate into more people at the polls with those those different ways of advanced uh, uh voting but in vancouver they vote on a Saturday. One of the things that some have been a proponent of, oh, what if we do it on the weekend? More people will vote. Well, that didn't necessarily translate, Brett. Yeah, because people in BC just went to the polls to elect their respective city and town councils. And turnout there, 36.3%. Yeah, like a third of people. That's incredibly low. And again, we're pointing to this because it's fascinating to me that you, Brett, and I'm like this too, I find civic politics super engaging. And yet that's where we seem to have the lotus lowest turnout they voted on a saturday that didn't help things and to be fair one of the issues in bc is all voters there cast their ballots for all the vacant council seats so they have an at-large system not a ward system so you have to walk in knowing dozens of names not just who you're going to pick for mayor who you're going to pick for council so it's a complicated system and Stuart prest was asked about this he's a political science professor at quest university and he says bc system has to change but overall voters just don't appear to be as interested in civic elections. Voters are just getting slammed with information and you can imagine that it's turning some people away saying I just I don't have the the bandwidth to take all this in and to to make an informed choice so I'm just not going to bother and so I think we can do things differently in, in the uh, the BC municipal races I think uh, a move towards wards can can be a way to simplify the choice so that you are only electing one representative and so that means you're going to have fewer names to choose from I think it's also worth taking a step back and thinking about maybe some some um, other kinds of options getting a little more creative, ones that might allow us to have representation from from across the city. My question is, why would it be that we have this lower turnout at the city level, Greg, versus federal? The federal system, in some ways, I know it's you feel like they hold all the purse strings, they have all the more more of the money, and they can decide where it flows and flows down. But they're just really basic things like our roads and our garbage and our sewage that all come down to the city. And yet that's where people vote the less, at least. You know, we live this stuff and we're in it 
all day long. So it feels as though to us that the awareness level would be high, but perhaps it's not. There's not nearly as much advertising. I mean, there's a, there are a fair number of candidates advertising on CJOB, but not maybe as many as you'd see in a provincial or federal election. And then you don't necessarily have the resources with regards to signage and other types of advertising out in the community that you might see with a provincial and federal election. I, I had dinner last night with a with a group of people who are all very intelligent and three of three of them have no idea who they're going to vote for and the election is in uh, nine days. I still don't know who I'm going to vote for. This one's uh, because there are a few candidates I really like and uh, there are a few candidates who surprised me like I, I didn't quite know them and after I heard what they had to say I'm like oh well now I have something I have a decision to make. Right. Um, but I have to you know I feel like I, there's a responsibility I need to know. I need to look into this, and maybe for some they don't want to bother voting just because they don't know they don't want to take the time mm-hmm. to, to maybe they learn. don't have the time. Yeah, that could be it. Today's topic has to do with what happened in Saskatchewan as it pertains to the Lotto Max, the largest group win in Western Canada history for the Lotto Max Max Millions draw. Might not be the 70 million, but 52 friends are going to share the August 5th single Max Millions prize of $1 million. So they each take home $19,230.67. I mean, hey, it's not a million bucks, but 20 grand is better than nothing, right? But uh, the thing here is they, they've been doing this now. The, it started with 40 friends about four years ago, and it's expanded through friends of friends. So it's a tradition. It's become a group tradition for them. So our question for you this morning, do you have a group tradition? Maybe you meet the same group of friends every Monday morning for coffee, or maybe you like to go out for wings on a Wednesday night. 204-780-6868 for a chance to win. Let's open the floor with Loren McNabb. Okay, mine goes back to 1994. I think I've told this before. Um, it's one of my best friends in high school who's still one of my closest friends now. Doesn't live here anymore, but we still are tight. On February 12th, 1994, we decided to name that Freak Day to like celebrate your inner freak and do whatever you want and embrace your weird and all kinds of things. And so I think it was grade 10, we dress up weirdly and like kind of like a spirit week type thing but it was just our own day with myself her and a couple of other girls and we aren't always together on that day but we still try to honor it in some way either we we just do something different with her hair or send a photo or i'll even get flowers from her on february 12th just saying happy freak day and uh it's just kind of a fun thing i don't know what i cannot recall what made us think we needed to do it other than that trying to embrace maybe some of that independence when you're 15 and 16 and not you know become Someone who's like a sheep, I guess, and uh, Freak Day, February 12th. You want in, you can be in the group. We you, take new members. And you, you do this every year for the last 30 years? Like we don't, I don't necessarily dress up every, or, or and in fact, there's been many years I haven't, but we acknowledge it, right? Like yeah. a text still goes out and we'll, it might be with a weird meme or something funny, or you tell your kids about it because you want them to know that it's okay to, to be you. 
you know, and uh, ah. February 12th. Right on. That's great. Uh, Sarah McCarthy in for Jeff Braun. What about you? Yeah, well, this is kind of a newer tradition since I've just moved to Winnipeg. It happens that one of my closest friends from high school happened to move here as well. So me and her just make a point of meeting up at least once a month uh, for either lunch, dinner, just try a new local food spot. It gets both of us out there in the city. And yeah, it's been great and going to be a good tradition, an expensive one, but a good one. (laughs) Is that just a fluke that this person also moved? They moved before me, so I guess she would say I fall. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> no, it's just a fluke. <laughs> yep. Mackling, what about you? You know, for myself, I've been racking my brain trying to come up with something, and I don't really have anything. What? So no, yeah, so I'm feeling kind of... Well, you're like, welcome to join me on February 12th, and I'm going to go out for lunch with Sarah because I've invited myself to that group, so feel free to... <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> yeah, she does. Loren does. She likes to invite herself to things. If I yeah. ever get married, Loren is apparently going to be there I, singing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's not. Actually, at anyone's wedding. I'm, I'm, I'm available for anyone. I'm, I'm not sure either of those two things are going to happen, no matter what order they are supposedly to take place. But I guess in my family, the coolest thing was my grandma and her best friend sent back and forth the same birthday card for, I think it was 64 years. Hmm. And I was trying to find the article that they did. My grandma ended up moving to White Rock back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And they did an article, but I can't find it online to confirm the number of years. But yeah, that that was kind of one of the coolest traditions I had ever heard of. This same greeting card going back and forth for their birthday, as opposed to buying a brand new one each and every year. It, it highlighted my grandmother's fru- frugality. Is frugality? that the right word? Frugality. Yeah. And also that never-ending uh, friendship. So it was pretty cool. That's neat. What about you, Pointers? Um, you know, I, I, I don't... I, I like to have different things happen. Like if I have something that's going to be like a set thing, like it's going to happen on a Wednesday at this time, every Wednesday, like I'm not the type of person that would like something like that. Like I don't like to have the obligation that every Wednesday I have to do something. Like I I, I, I try to do like rec sports and stuff like that. And I would just sit and be like, oh God, here comes Thursday. I got to do this. <laughs> and I, I just can't, I, I just, I can't do it. Like personally, I just can't do it. Um, so like, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, 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 you know what I do like though, Brett, I like that, like going to the, to the King's head on, on Fridays when I was going into work, I, I enjoyed that. That wasn't, that's a nice tradition, I guess, if, if that's what we could classify it as that, but, um, like, it's like my, my mom's friend down in Minnesota, they go up to Red Lake Falls in Ontario, him and a group of guys down in Minnesota, they go up there to Ontario every year and they've done it for like, it's like 50 years now. And it's like, wow, that's that's really cool. But at what point to me, I look at it like that's like such like a good thing. But it's like, are you just carrying this on because you can't break the chain or do you guys really enjoy doing it? <laughs> it's kind of a question. Maybe they love it. Like maybe that's something that they love to do. Like I know the Laker classic, some you love, Brett. But yeah, um, yeah. so I, I, it's, it's, it's a weird thing for me. I don't know. The Laker Classic, yeah. They, this come next year is going to be twenty-five. The annual uh, boys' yeah. golf excursion. Twenty-five. Uh, yeah, twenty-five That's incredible. years. I think yeah, I started in year great. four. Um, so yeah, it's pretty cool. We're, I think we're, we the original plan where they wanted it to go to Wisconsin and play Whistling Straits, but to play that one course is like four hundred dollars. I'm like, I'm not spending $2,000 on a golf vacation. Not quite yet. Maybe one day, but not to get beat up at that golf course. It has like 1,500 bunkers What's on it. What's it called? Whistling Straits? Yeah. It looks really nice, but it has over 1,000 sand traps on it. And uh, that's just, that's a nightmare for me. Oh, Is that Kohler, Wisconsin? 
Uh, sure. Brett, you should go. I'll come with you. I'll be the on that trip, name too. for a toilet. Uh, Forte, what about you? Well, actually, yeah, me and Cam have a... We, we failed. We failed back in the winter. We're like, every Wednesday, we're going to go out for wings in the afternoon. Because I think the wings were... What was it? Uh, yeah, it wasn't us that failed, bucks. Forte. It was... Yeah, it was the place they decided to change their policy, so they failed us. So I, that's what I like to say. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like like five bucks for a pound of wings, and then uh, they made their wings half price. We're like, well, the price of this is just too much. So we we, we, <laughs> we went for like two two and a half months, something like that. Yeah. Went every Wednesday, and then yeah, that happened, and then it just it failed. It just failed. Three off. Yeah, I went from five dollars to like nine. I, I that's I can't I can't deal with that. That's insane. <laughs> Inflation. <laughs> It'll get you. Two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Do you have a longstanding group tradition? I'm feeling like minus eleven to start off your work week. And when we do warm up today, it'll be a, a whopping high, Loren, of two degrees. That's well yeah. below seasonal. Yeah, and I think for some, we might just say, oh, that's gross or uncomfortable. or We don't like the fact that winter is nigh. But for others, it can be concerning for a whole host of other reasons, like our farmers still working to get crops off the field. Bill Campbell is president of the Keystone Agriculture Producers and joins us now. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. So where are we at with harvest in terms of how much it might be done in southern Manitoba? Well, it uh, was released last week by the Department of Agriculture that we're very close to 80% completed, and we've had uh, another five or six days since then. So I would suggest we're over 80%. Uh, For the most part, uh, the cereals and canola are completed. Uh, We're probably down to sunflowers and corn, I guess, would be in a few isolated cases of uh, some some canola uh, left to go. Bill, do, do canola, sunflowers, and corn handle these cold temperatures okay? Or is this uh, potentially, I don't want to use the word devastating, I'll let you come up with the word. Well, I would suggest that uh, the corn and the sunflowers require a killing frost. And then what we need after that is the uh, drying conditions to take the moisture out of the plants uh, so that we can harvest them and store the, the commodity in, in safe condition. Um, there gets to be a time frame where uh, harvest needs to comp- be completed. Uh, the crop will deteriorate and be vulnerable to shelling uh, and uh, losses in that manner. But uh, I think we're all quite aware that the growth uh, of uh, 2022 is probably done now. Like We don't see the lawns growing, the trees are done. Um, all indications that um, that season is behind us now and um, we have to be prepared for what's coming ahead of us. How would you describe the past four or five months, Bill? Because I know we talked to you often in the spring as well as people were looking to get into the fields and it was so wet in the spring. And I'm not sure if it's just something I, I remark upon every October, but it feels like it's the cold has come in more quickly than I expected. How would you just reflect on the past four or five months? Well, it was quite concerning early on with the uh, delayed seeding that we had. And, you know, with the farming experience that any time you have a later seeding, you're going to have a later harvest. Um, And then uh, we had some significant rainfalls uh, early in the growing season. But then the, the, the crop season seemed to be somewhat normal after that, I would suggest. And it was really quite amazing how some of the crops had handled it and how some of them had 
come along. And it was extremely variable uh, in region and within uh, each uh, crop were variable as well. But um, the harvest went along pretty good. We had good quality of crop early on, and uh, uh, it um, looks to be an average crop, I would suggest, maybe maybe even a little better than average. But uh, I think most producers are pleasantly surprised at, at what they got. It's not bumper and, and, and it's not exceptional or any of that thing. But in light of the circumstances that we encountered through the growing season, um, we have something to something to harvest and something to market. So, so I think we should be appreciative of those factors. Bill Campbell is the president of the Keystone Agricultural Producers, joining us live on the start. And Bill, is there a type of crop that gets hit hard when it freezes? Well, it depends on its stage of maturity, and uh, I, that's why we were so concerned about the delayed seeding. And we know that frost will come in September and. If the crop's not mature, that frost will affect virtually every crop. You'll have yield loss in canola. You will have uh, baking and milling quality concerns in wheat. And uh, you'll have shriveled kernels in oats and barley. And uh, if the corn isn't mature, that it, it won't yield quite the same. So it, it is a, a concern. And so that's why you want to have that level of maturity so it can handle the frost so that then it becomes uh, uh, mature and dries down so that we can harvest it. And it actually helps with harvest in certain crops because otherwise they would still be moist and still not necessarily mature. And so it, it, it terminates the, the growth of the plant and then just lets it dry down. And the weather that we've been getting lately has been beneficial I think the biggest thing that we need to be concerned about with harvest at this point in time is that S word. Stay away from that and uh, we'll be able to complete a lot of the tasks that we need for preparation of 2023 and uh, and we'll be able to call 2022 complete. Before we let you go, Bill, you represent Farmers with Cap. I just wanted to ask, are you done harvest? Yes, we, we finished uh, about 10 days ago. So we've been uh, dealing with some of the consequences of overland flooding, and we've been preparing our fields for 2023, uh, accumulating our livestock and the, and the feed and getting them in the right places and uh, all of those tasks that, that go along with, uh, with the farming process. And so I mean, there's, a, there's a fair few of the farmers around here that are applying anhydrous and, and uh, getting ready for, for next year in that aspect of it that traditionally do that process. So, um, you know, we're looking forward to 23 and marketing our 2022 crop and, um, yeah, just moving along with the farming process. Bill Campbell is the president of the Keystone Agricultural Producers. Thank you very much for the time, Bill. We appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for the inquiry, and everyone have a good day. We're asking you about your long-standing group traditions. Do you have a tradition with a group? What does Don have to say, Greg? My wife's family has a tradition I married into. For as long as my wife can remember, they have had this piece of gold wrapping paper that gets used and passed around Every Christmas, whoever gets it one year has to use it to pass on to another person the next year. They take such care when opening the paper. It's almost stressful to watch. 
This year, it's my turn to pass it along. Ugh. Yeah. You don't want to be the one that wrecks that. I would be the one, absolutely, <laughs> the one to wreck that. I'm just too clumsy. As, as Whenever I try to be ginger with that sort of stuff, I still wreck it. I can't like even... That- I can't even open a box of Kleenex without, you know, where the, like I can never get a clean break from the the, the flap that comes uh, off. That's the that's the fault of the perforation. It's it's faulty perforation <laughs> from Kleenex. There, come on, step up your game, Kleenex. It's like the um, that balloon I told you guys about that I've had since we my sister was sixteen. She got a balloon from someone for Valentine's Day, and it went into the closet. And then when my parents sold the farm, that balloon was still like alive and well in the closet. So now it's at the top of my closet in the basement. Like, I'm terrified. Like, I feel like it's like the thing that if it pops, like a life just, you know, it's like that movie, that movie where if you don't uh, feed the beast, the beast comes out and gets you. I got to keep that balloon alive. <laughs> so how many, years now, how many years now has that balloon well, had uh, helium 30, in it? 30. That seems impossible. Well, it's not helium. It's like those balloons you get at the grocery store with the straw in them. Like they're filled with air, like those tinfoil type oh, balloons. Oh, okay. So it's not. And so it's not helium. All right. It's just that it's this balloon that it's it's lived forever. It cannot go. I'm in charge of it now, people. It's, but it's still, holding. It. it's still holding. It's still holding. strong, man. And it fell out of the closet a couple wow. of weeks ago. And I was like, nobody touch that. <laughs> That's a Back good balloon. Back away. Hermetically sealed must be. Mike says my group tradition is really small. Only involving two of us, but it is hugely important to me. It revolves around a college classmate, Ken, whom I met in Thunder Bay in 1985. We graduated together, and then a year later began working together as mechanics at the Air Canada Aircraft Maintenance Hangar here in Winnipeg. Several years later, I discovered his birthday fell on my wedding anniversary and would always find him in the hangar to wish him a happy birthday, and he in turn wishing me a happy anniversary. We were both laid off in 2012 after the maintenance side of Air Canada shut down, but I maintained the tradition in reaching out to him even after all these years, and we always spend hours catching up on our respective lives, and hours fly by as we reminisce. That's awesome, Mike. Very nice. Big smile on my face from that. Thank you, Mike. We appreciate it. Keep those stories coming for a chance to win. Brian Adams tickets will pick a winner at 9.15. We're about to talk a little bit about food. Don, with uh, some feedback here, Greg, that kind of just makes us all shake our head. <laughs> I remember when $300 of groceries filled the trunk of the car. Now it barely fills a bag. And, Loren, I know Don is exaggerating to make a point, but Jackie brought home, I think she said, $258 worth of groceries on Saturday afternoon. And I was like, what did you even get? <laughs> Yeah, and sometimes the answer is not much. And then on the opposite end, you get unreasonably excited, or at least I do. I was texting folks about the price of ground beef the other day at one of the grocery stores because it was on sale, and I wanted to just stock right up because I hadn't seen it that low in what feels like, I don't know, years. And so there's just you're having all this sort of sticker shock on both ends as you try to find ways to save a few bucks. Well, and as you've been hearing in the news run with Sarah McCarthy, Canada's largest grocer, Loblaws, is freezing prices on hundreds of items. Yeah, so Loblaws, Loblaws, of course, represents Superstore, for example, if you shop there. And the statement from Loblaw president and chairperson Galen Weston went like this. Galen said, Anyone who regularly visits the grocery store knows over the past year the cost of food has increased rapidly. Maddingly, much of this is out of our control. That's why to help Canadians hit the brakes on food inflation, 
We're focusing on what is in our control. And starting today, we're freezing prices of all no-name products, which is more than 1,500 grocery essentials sold in stores across the country until January 31st, 2023. So as you mentioned, Loren, Loblaws is the company behind Superstore. So if you shop there, this news may make you happy or it might have you asking, why did they wait until now? Sylvain Charlebois is the director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. We say hello to the food professor. Good morning, Sylvain. Good morning. So let's go with that question. Why now? Uh, I honestly, they needed it. <laughs> I mean, you go on social media, uh, grocers were being destroyed daily, uh, criticized by consumers, uh, uh, of profiteering, taking advantage of consumers, uh, who are struggling with food inflation. So some, something needed to be done. And, uh, so I think it's high time. Honestly, I think they're at least a month too late, but at least they're doing something. And and the campaign actually includes the very, very lucrative holiday season, which represents sometimes almost 20% of of yearly sales. So uh, I think it's good news for consumers overall. Do you think other grocers will follow suit? That's a good question. I I can tell you uh, beyond reasonable doubt that uh, grocers were learning of the price freeze this morning as uh, at the same time as everyone else. Uh, I can tell you they, they weren't aware of this. And so I, it's going to be interesting to see. And, of course, on Wednesday, uh, the CPI report will be coming out, uh, reminding Canadians that, well, uh, grocery shopping is, is more expensive. And so, uh, yes, that's going to be a challenge for Sobe's Empire and Metro as well. Yeah, the CPI is that consumer price index that just tells us where things are at from beef and, and stationary goods and all the rest, Sylvan. And I had said earlier this morning, I'm, I'm slightly cynical about this because from what we've been hearing all along, there isn't any sort of gouging going on at the grocery store. That's what the grocers say. And now this large, huge one in Canada is coming out to say, well, we can hold the line now where we're at. So how am I supposed to digest that, wondering if I have been overcharged for things over the past few months, or if it really is just about the cost of what's happening at processing plants or with gas and other? Well, so last week I did get the call from Loblaws telling me that they were going ahead with the freeze uh, today because I actually was, uh, uh, I made a public claim asking grocers to freeze prices. I think it was at least a month ago. Uh, and I think grocers were concerned that, uh, to your point, uh, they they perhaps uh, were they were expecting this decision to be seen as a, an admission of guilt, you know, saying that we have we have pushed prices too high, so we need to do something. But I don't agree with that. I actually do think that uh, when you look at the grand, when you look at the globe, I mean, everyone is is being impacted by food inflation. In fact. Canada has the third lowest food inflation rate right now amongst the G7 countries. So we're doing better than the Americans, the UK, Italy, and Germany. And so, but still, you need to do something because the image of the sector was really being damaged. So I think it's it's good news for consumers. And because it's no name, you can actually accumulate more loyalty points as well. 
Sylvain, you mentioned social media, and I was probably scrolling through some of the same social media as you, and there are some who are skeptical and figure that part of this move is based on the fact that uh, Jagmeet Singh, uh, the NDP, has called for a parliamentary committee on the, the profits and grocery store pricing. Do you think this plays into that in any way, shape, or form? Uh, probably, I think so. Uh, I, I think something needed to be done today uh, in order to address these issues. Now, I think I think uh, law laws will be scrutinized heavily. People will look for prices, making sure that there is a freeze. They'll look for shrink shrinkflation as well. <laughs> you know how things work, right? With contract manufacturers, maybe they'll shrink packages and keep the same prices. I think they're going to be watch. Uh, under the microscope for the next little while. Uh, what, are, what are the other big companies? Can you just refresh my memory for Loblaws? What is, so we've got Superstore. What else is under that banner? Like uh, Shoppers, I think, is one of them. Shoppers Drug Mart? Well, for you guys, Shoppers is included, of course. Uh, no frills, but you guys, you guys would have the real Canadian Superstore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there's actually... 24, 25 different banners under Loblaws. You find a no-name brand that's owned by Loblaw, and there's lots of them. I mean, Loblaw operates over 3,000 stores across the country. So, Sylvain, when we talk about the idea about what's behind this, of course, there's a bit of uh, trying to appeal to the consumer. There's maybe the admittance that they can hold the line for at least a couple of months. But what what do we know and understand about what is happening at the processing level? Because that's where Loblaws says it's happening, that the costs are high, you know, let's say at the meatpacking plants or other. And that's why they've been passing those costs down onto us. What do we know about what's going on at that level? Because we've also had producers and beef producers in Saskatchewan and here in Manitoba say, hang on. Farmers aren't seeing that come to them. Someone somewhere is charging more. What is actually happening? Uh, well, so it's the pressures are real. The thing about uh, no name, it's it's so easy to execute a a, a price freeze because uh, Loblaw actually deals with contract manufacturers, and those contract manufacturers will have only one customer, and that customer would be Loblaw. So if your customer go, comes into your uh, your boardroom and say, "Listen, we need to freeze prices," well, they're going to figure it out, and, and and that's why I've always wondered why this didn't happen before. Now, uh, I think Loblaws is probably the one company that is best positioned to do this, because when you look at how Empire. Sobeys and Metro are set up, they can't really execute that quickly. So they need more work. Uh, but again, I, I, I do expect them to respond in some way over the next couple of days. Sylvain Charlebois, Director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Thank you very much for the time as always, sir. We appreciate it. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. And you can weigh in at 204-780-6868. Is this the kind of thing that might get you to shop more at a Loblaws store? Like, uh, I don't live anywhere near a superstore, so I'm not going to go out of the way. But I do live right next door to a shopper's drug mart. So maybe I'll take a look at uh, their product lineup there, Mackling. See if they uh, match this. Tim says, and this is just Tim's take. I can't verify this, but Tim says, I know for a fact there are 200 no-name chips. I've uh, gone <laughs> up in the last eight weeks from a $1.59 bag on sale to three for $3, then went to three twenty nine per right. bag or two for $5 on Friday. They were three seventy nine per bag. I'll say, pay the extra $0.75 cents now and buy Old Dutch. 
watch and Loren, lots of people commenting on social media saying, yeah, the prices of these no name products have, have doubled some of them over the last year or so. Or if you freeze them, another question would be like, well, does that mean they stay even if costs to procure them go down? Right? Like if it's frozen at 159 a pound or whatever, but those costs to get that go down, am I going to be paying less or is it just stuck there till January? I don't know. I, it, it feels gimmicky to me, for me, but I, it's just I'm reacting as a shopper and I'm annoyed all around at all of them. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. Only 36.3% of eligible voters in Vancouver went to the polls this past weekend in widespread elections. Why do you think people don't vote? Access to polling stations like days or location. Politicians never do what they say they will. No time to be on top of the issues or I always vote. You can cast your vote at cjob.com. Kelly Moorworth. Uh, Monday Jets report coming up in three minutes time but we're getting lots of great feedback like this text Greg from Amanda I'm genuinely a person who really takes uh, to ensuring one goes to the polls to vote so much so that I work at every level of government as a voting officer however this civic election I'm not sure what it is but I'm just not Still not motivated to make an effort to vote this time. Honestly, I think it is possibly the fact that there are too many candidates for mayor. I'm hearing too much, and it's almost making me not want to hear anything more. And to be frank, I feel like they are all full of baloney. I've never felt this way, and now your statistics about Point Douglas being in that ward myself at doesn't shock me. That ward spans from the Louise Bridge all the way to Route 90 in Inkster. That's a big ward to cover, and many of the residents don't have an address, so it poses hardship for them to get out and vote. Regardless of who comes out on top, I truly hope for the best of the residents across this entire city because it's just feeling like our city is getting poopier, whether it be the roads, the homelessness, or the crime. Amanda finishes her text. Here's to hoping for better days. Yeah, she referenced Point Douglas there and the fact that in the last election, 2018, voter turnout in that ward, and I think Minarski, when I was looking this morning, were also around 30%. So that's, you know, you got less than a third of voters coming out to decide who makes decisions for your area, and that's disconcerting. And on the other hand, I hear her that sometimes the more people there are, it's so hard, Brett. There are some elections you think, well, I don't like either of these choices because there's only two. Mm-hmm. And then there's a, a, others like this one for Mary, you've got like a dozen and you think, well, now that's too many. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't keep up. So you're darned if you do, darned if you don't. I, I don't know. That's why I think sometimes it will just come t- down to that game time decision or that feeling like that. It might not be policy in the end. You just might have a better feeling about someone versus the other, even if their policies are relatively the same. Yeah, I know that I'm, I can already see it now. I'll be, I'm going to be standing or sitting at the, the voting station and I'll be, you know, I can't decide. I haven't made a decision yet. Who am I going to vote for? Ah, and then I'll maybe I'll regret my decision because I'll be like, oh, I should have voted for that person. I'll, 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 whatever I end up doing, I'm not going to be happy because I'll have too much anxiety over it. Ultimate buyer's remorse. Uh, why oh, did yeah. I vote for this person? Here's one that's come in. I'm going back and forth with this listener, and one listener says uh, that he lives out just outside the city, less than eight kilometers away. Most of my time outside my yard is spent in the city. I work in the city. The majority of my spending is done in the city. He thinks he should have a vote on who is mayor, even though he lives outside the city of Winnipeg. What do you think about that? Well, where'd the line be? Like, I live outside the city. I'd love to be able to vote for Winnipeg's mayor, but I don't pay taxes there. 
right now. I want to continue the conversation on groceries in the wake of Loblaws announcing they're going to freeze prices until January of 2023. And, uh, Loren, we've got lots of questions and we are getting lots of feedback as well from our listeners on this one. Well, I'm just curious, first of all, if this might send you to a Loblaws store. So they're saying they're freezing the prices on 1500 of their in-house items. So, of course, Superstore, no frills. They all have the no-name brands. Shoppers Drug Mart might see some price freezes on some of its items too. I think it's just all the no-name brand though. And some people are writing in to say that they, they don't buy into this. They think that that the prices may be frozen at already inflated levels. And so that's concerning them. And another thing that's come back, and I was thinking about this on the weekend too, is we've talked about this often, guys, but this idea of shrinkflation. So the, the price might seem like it's decent, but I feel like every item I look at now, whether it be the package of beef, the six pork chops that used to be eight, the bag of chips that felt like it used to be just a smidge bigger, it all feels like it's shrunk. And so the price might look appealing, but then when you really look at it, like blocks of cheese, one of our listeners says, have you looked at cheese lately? It's so much money and it's so much smaller than it was even two years ago. And that for sure is true. Yeah, I don't know. I have noticed that some things they've altered the packaging for sure. Those on those specific things, uh, I'll leave it to, to you and to the listeners to comment on. But the most uh, blatant thing I noticed is the bacon packaging. Not that I typically uh, buy uh, bacon, regular bacon. I'm a sort of a turkey bacon kind of person but even that package Yuck. has yeah it, uh, sorry can we, can we switch gears and just say no way <laughs> okay we'll that's fine switch and talk that's, about turkey bacon for I, five we can talk about turkey bacon <laughs> if you like i mean that doesn't mean i boycott bacon elsewhere just in our house when we're doing breakfasts and that sort of thing we do turkey bacon and the package i couldn't believe the size of the package that came home about three weeks ago of turkey bacon and then the simplest thing like the hot dogs they you know they go from 12 to 8 to six and then the the buns that whole age-old conversation about the buns and the packaging of the buns not matching up with the number of hot dogs in a package i think we got one brett uh, last week there were seven wieners in a package seven what am i doing with seven hot dogs (laughs) well some of them have five now like it used to be six and then they cut it down to five and one of our listeners has this point let me know what you think about this okay So we're making a big deal that for 14 weeks, there'll be no prices on their own PC house brands. This sounds like free marketing and promotion for Loblaws. And that's part of it too. They come out of the gates first with this in this country. Here we are talking about it. Do you really feel like you're getting that much of a deal in the end? Yeah, I don't know if we're making a big deal of it. No. Other than the fact that it is news because they are the first to do it. But... I think also the conversation needs to be had out loud about whether or not, you know, this is a marketing stunt. Is is this something that's genuine? Is this something that's going to stick around for a while? And you brought up this idea, and I think one of our listeners did as well, Loren. Are these prices locked in or are they subject to change based on the changing input prices? If the input costs, yes, reduce over the next little while, are they eligible to go down? So I don't think we're celebrating this as much as uh, casting a suspicious light upon it. Blocks of cheese have gone down from 700 to 600 and that irks me. Yeah. 
And uh, another listener here with a great point as well. Uh, they, they are saying that uh, I've managed to cut my uh, grocery costs uh, down by making friends with a number of farmers. So my money goes directly to them and not to the stores. I'm getting my meat and eggs from them. And uh, you guys put me onto a pork and egg farmer, and it's been the best bit of luck I've had a long time, says this listener. Oh. And that's, I wish, I wish, I was on location at the St. Norbert Farmer's Market uh, last weekend, and I wish that I'd actually brought a grocery bag with me, like, uh, or a couple of them, because I, mm-hmm. I wanted to load up on eggs, and maybe there was milk. I don't know what they had, fresh fish. I did end up getting some Saskatoon pies from my oh. dad, which were fantastic. Best of all the pies. And I think we should leave Carrie Lynn with the last word who would like Greg to know turkey is not bacon. <laughs> you can argue that if you want. Oh, the first time I'm I changing had turkey the question bacon, of the day. <laughs> the first time I had turkey bacon, I was like, ah, I might as well have just fried up a box of cardboard. Well, I was prepared incorrectly then. <laughs> I, I question its preparation. It's all right. Now I'm inviting myself to your house for breakfast. And, and I'm going to make an annual tradition where I vote with Brett. Eat wings with Forche and Cam and go to Greg's house for turkey bacon once a year. <laughs> All right. You come. You're welcome anytime. Right now, we got to talk some football because the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Loren, have one more regular season game. Then the second season begins. Yeah. So on Saturday, if you're watching or listening, the BC Lions took care of their business as they continue their quest for second place in the West. They get, they're getting there by that 40-32 to 32 win over the already locked into first place Blue Bombers. For the third time this season, the Bombers lose the game before a bye week, and then they'll wrap up their regular season October 28th at home versus BC, Greg. Derek Taylor is the voice of the Blue Bombers right here on CJOB, and Drew Brown started at quarterback for the Blue Bombers. He went the entire way, Brett, 28 of 39 passing, three touchdowns and Two costly interceptions. Brown second and three from the 15. Little out route intercepted at the 10. And BC is going to have two picks returned for a touchdown in this game. And it's TJ Lee going all the way. Despite some disastrous things, Derek, the Blue Bombers were in this pretty much right till the end of the game. Let's start with Brown. How do you? What's your take on how he performed in his first ever start? Well, his two mistakes, his two interceptions were were very dangerous, right? They're, they're troubled spots. One, he had a little problem with the snap, either bad snap or he should have done a little better with it, whatever you want to think. But the interception returned by Marcus Sales, the former bomber. The second one, he hung that ball, the one we heard there, hung it a good couple of yards behind Nick Dembski. And you go, well, if that one's just on Dembski's frame at all, it's fine. But that one ends up being taken back, uh, you know, 102 yards for for a touchdown. So huge mistakes, which can't be overlooked. But man, he bounced back from those mistakes. He had a real rough start and a real real good stretch for a couple of quarters, and then the interception pick six. He immediately drives him back down for a touchdown, and they're back within one score. And you go, look at the resilience on this guy. He doesn't just fold up, you know. As I joked to him in the post game show, I would have been on a ball crying on the sidelines. Uh, I almost was as a fan, but he was right back out there humming the ball down the field. So you watch that, and and he and I talked weeks and weeks ago after uh, week one about he's learned to just trust himself and trust what he sees and rip the ball, just rip it. And and he did some of that, and that to me is super encouraging despite what might have been the results for one 60-minute period. 
Let's talk about special teams on Saturday. Mark Leggio struggled with field goals. Janarian Grant was great for the Bombers. BC's Terry Williams was outstanding on return kicks. Was How much was special teams a deciding factor in the outcome? Enormous. And if you're looking for anything, we, as Doug and Ed and I discussed in the pregame show, most of the stuff that, that was going to happen, we weren't really going to pay much attention to, right? Because the Bombers had clinched their field position and their spot in the playoffs and la, la, la. But special teams... I would, I would think most of those players are the guys who will play special teams in the playoffs. And 90-yard return on a missed field goal, the opening kick return went back, what was it, 40 yards. Like There were massive holes in these kick coverage teams that make you go, oh, I, I hope that doesn't come back to bite the Bombers in the, in the bottom as this, as this goes along. So we'll, we'll look more at that. And then Legio, he's asked twice to – to try to drill 50 yarders and as much as bc is a good place to kick field goals it's not a it's not a magic place to kick field goals you're not going to all of a sudden have you know an extra couple of yards on your legs so you know legio missed the first couple the third one from in the 40 something range that's one that maybe bomber fans will go i know it's been good but that's three in a row now including a very makeable one so i wonder what's going to happen from from here so yeah, that'll that'll be a, a storyline that that's reemerged that had gone kind of dormant for the last nine weeks. Uh, Derek, there'll be no shortage of conversations to be had on tomorrow night's coaches show. Dalton Schoen had another touchdown. Brady Oliveira didn't play in the second half, so that may hurt his chances of of capturing the rushing crown overall in the league. And that unusual play on the Blue Bombers kickoff following their last touchdown. What on earth happened there? Oh, so so here's the deal. Um, the the bombers had had the option. They needed the ball back, right? So we thought, oh, maybe they'll onside kick this one. Uh, instead, they kind of they sort of kick it deep, but they kick it away from Williams and try to pin him to the sideline. Uh, Williams very craftily puts one foot out of bounds. You know, has one foot then inbounds and picks up the ball. The second he touches the ball, the ball's out of bounds. Which on a kickoff is if the ball goes out of bounds. It's an illegal kickoff, and you get a significant field uh, position bump. So now here's the thing. In most situations, you cannot go out of play and come back and touch the ball. If you're running a route and you go out of bounds on your own, you can't be the first person to touch the ball. However, in both the NFL and as we learned in that game, in the CFL as well, that's not illegal participation as it would be in so many other circumstances like a reception, like a fumble, things like that. It's, it's a legal play, which is to the detriment of the kicking team. So uh, by Williams taking a step out of bounds first and then touching the ball, uh, that becomes a penalty on the Bombers. And it feels weird and it feels wrong, but it's, it's a rule that Mike O'Shea knew immediately, mm-hmm. and, and he gave all the praise to Terry Williams and the BC Lions for a crafty play. Uh, and, and it's one that's... I mean, now that Terry Williams has kind of broken the glass, as it were, we're probably going to see a lot more because there are spots where returners could do it. Janarian Grant's had some times where he could have done it this season. So ultimately, you know, it it is a penalty against the Bombers, but versus an onside kick, which BC would have gotten at uh, probably the 40, 45-yard line. BC did that take the ball at the Winnipeg 50-yard line, so it worked maybe a fraction in, uh, in Winnipeg's favor, 
but but a weird play that now that we've seen it once, we're all going to be ready for it the next time, or we're going to be screaming, why don't you step out of bounds first? So that'll be fun. <laughs> well, one of my boys pointed it out. He goes, oh, that's not good. I said, why not? He's illegal participation. That's going to be a penalty on BC. He says, no, Dad, that's not good for the Bombers. That's automatically out of bounds. I said, you're, you're crazy. And then sure enough, they put the ball where they did, and then my son explained the rule to me yeah. because he'd seen it in the NFL. I have never ever seen that in the Canadian Football League. Do you think that rule gets changed? Because it doesn't feel like uh, a very uh, Canadian kicking rule-like uh, ruling or or rule in the first place. Yeah, I I look at it and I think someone, if it keeps happening more and maybe has an impact in the playoffs, I think someone will try to change it. But, but what it does is uh, it's going to help returns. And that was the whole goal of the CFL in the offseason with the you can't punt it out of bounds between the 15s and we're going to move the kickoffs back. The CFL wanted more returns, right? And this one means the kicking team can't put it too near the sidelines. You have to leave it more in the middle of the field. Middle of the field means more room for the returners and potentially bigger returns like we saw in, in that game between the Bombers and Lions. So I think there may be a move to do it because Michael Shea said the postgame show, you know, doesn't really like that rule very much, but it is the rule, which which happens for for a lot of us. Uh, I, I think I don't think it's going anywhere, honestly, because it's become a kind of a, a strategic weapon in the NFL uh, this year and maybe a little bit of last year. I forget when I first saw it there. But uh, if it's if it's a little bit of a weapon and it promotes smart play and it promotes more returns, I honestly don't believe it'll go anywhere. All right, Derek. Well, we thank you very much for joining us. Always a pleasure, sir. Thanks, guys. We do want to revisit something that we touched or we've been touching on through the morning, and that has to do with, you know, voting. We were talking about voter turnout being so poor in municipal elections in BC. But then, as always, Loren, there's there ends up being kind of an offshoot conversation. And this one had to do with for those who live just outside the city. Yeah, and I think this comes up, you know, it seems like every round of elections, you start to think about where you'd like to have your say. Because, of course, we're talking about engagement and the fact that voter turnout seems to be lower in civic elections than provincial and federal ones. And why is that? And then on the opposite end, we had a listener writing in this morning to say that they would like to see the bubble expanded for mayoral voting. They say, I live outside the city, eight kilometers away. Most of my time is spent in the city. I work there. The majority of my spending is done in the city, but because I don't live in Winnipeg, I have no voice on how I'd like to see it run. And so they're talking about this idea, like, you know, should those some of those bedroom communities or should they expand the catchment area for voters? And that had me thinking, yeah, like I get it. I'm one of those people who lives outside of Winnipeg, but when I'm coming into work daily, I mean, I'm on the Winnipeg roads, I'm seeing questionable things when it comes to crime. I'm, I have my own safety concerns. I spend a lot of time in Winnipeg, but I don't get a say on how council is run or who gets to be on council, but I also don't pay my property taxes there. So is that the line for people? If I pay property taxes, I have to vote where I'm, I'm paying those taxes. And so I'm just curious if there are those who live outside the city who would like to have the say or how Winnipeggers would feel if that happened. Because one of our listeners responded to that saying, yeah, regarding people living outside the city and the ability to vote, I'm saying no. Sure, they spend their money in the city for gas and other things. However, that's the choice. When you live in the city, 
You have no choice but pay the taxes in that city. So until you pay taxes here, you don't get to vote for our city leadership. So where should this line be? There's just no there's just no way to draw it's, it, right? it. Well, yeah, there is a way to draw it. It's well, called sure. the city boundary. <laughs> right. It's the perimeter. Don't say there's right? no where, like, that's where it's drawn. And if you want to have a conversation, we should send out a reporter or two to Glenway Avenue in North, uh, North Kildonan. Sure. Because on the south side is North Kildonan. On the north side is East St. Paul. And so, you know, there's an example of a road that's shared by two different municipalities. And I would flip this conversation on its ear because I lived in Alberta a couple of different times. And Calgary, by all accounts, is a pretty decent place to live. I know we don't want to do all things as they do in Alberta. But as soon as a rural municipality indicates based on its development that it would really like to be more of a city or a town, guess what? You're up for annexation. And Mm -hmm. so uh, I'll flip the conversation right on its ear. At what point should bedroom communities be brought in to the city of Winnipeg to pay taxes, to contribute for a variety of different things that people who live there clearly are using? And that would be the flip side of that conversation for me. So yeah, uh, the line is the city boundary. Well, what if you're someone who lives in Winnipeg but commutes to, say, Carmen every day? You voting in Carmen? Are you voting in Carmen? Probably not. No. And then it comes to the conversation, too, like as we look at ways for the city to raise funds. And as we go tomorrow, we're talking infrastructure with our mayoral candidates. And then we'll be talking downtown later this week. And then next week, we want to talk about how people plan to pay for all these provinces promises and what taxes they might raise or not raise. We always get back to that check, bread of maybe toll roads for bedroom communities or what other ways. If I'm coming into Winnipeg every day but not paying that property tax, do you want to hit me somewhere else? Only if Tollbooth Willie is in the booth. Dollar <laughs> twenty-five bishop. That's about all I can really repeat from that sketch. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's all, and that's always a hot button one. That instant reaction: Should we have toll booths? Uh, because we know a lot of uh, people want to. They want to live in these bedroom communities because they they might not have to pay less on ta- or They might get to pay less on taxes or what have you. So feel free yes. to let us know. One last thought. Someone just texted to say, hang on, we pay property and school taxes at our recreational property in Lactabani and don't get to vote there. Oh. Because it's, okay. it's not their permanent place. I owned, I owned property in Minnedosa for 20 years, never voted in an election. And we I think I paid. You, that was just like a town choice. You know, it was like no Mackling votes. <laughs> That was actually a plebiscite. It was a referendum. Should we let Greg Mackley Oh, so that was a personal decision. That yeah, was, was personal. Okay. Oh. It's one-off. It's a one-off. Oh, I'm going to ask for a, a refund on my taxes for 20 years then. <laughs> We've been asking you about long-standing group traditions because this group of 52 people in Saskatchewan, they won the... Uh, Lot of max, max millions. So they get to 52 people get to share a million bucks. So they each get just under $20,000. But they've been doing this for four years now as a group. And uh, yeah, that's a tradition. And it's certainly one that you would not want to miss out on. Like imagine being the one person who forgot to put in the week that they won. I would, I don't, I, <laughs> I would be really, really upset if I missed out on that. So, Mackling, uh, what does Linda 
have on this front. Myself and three or four other high school girlfriends were all cheerleaders together in Portage. Back in the early 1960s, we get together three to four times per year at various locations in the city and eat and drink and gab away like we're still young girls. We've all aged very gently and have different lives, but a genuine bond. That's pretty cool. Tough to pick a winner as always, but uh, Loren, we're going with Dawn because Dawn had a... (laughs) I I certainly felt the anxiety when I was uh, listening to this story from Dawn. Oh, sure. As an aside, can I say I like the phrase, we're aging gently? Yes. Yep. I'm going to... Start using that. I'm, how are you doing? I'm aging gently. Dawn <laughs> says, my wife's family has a tradition I married into. For as long as my wife can remember, they have had this piece of gold wrapping paper that gets used and passed around every Christmas. Whoever gets it one year has to use it to pass on to another person next year. They take such care when opening the paper, it's almost stressful to watch. This year, it's my turn to pass it along. Dawn, you are our winner. Tickets to Brian Adams. And I'm curious, this feels like this is more like a hot potato. Like you don't want the paper. <laughs> Be too stressful. Now, how does that, I wonder how it gets determined whose turn it is on an annual basis? And like, what kind of paper is this that I think it can it's for hold- whoever you give it to you? So if you get the paper wrapped in gold, then you get to decide next year who you pass it on to. Uh, are there, is there, the is there a stamp it, stamp it, no erasers, uh, no, tag no, ba- no tag backs, and can you give it back to the person that gave you the year before? There has to be some sort of formula or rules here. And it has to be like strong paper as well if they're reusing the same one. Yeah. I'm I used kidding. to, my auntie Pat, God bless her, um, she used to very gingerly open presents. Oh, yes. And as she's doing it, she's like, oh, this wrapping paper is so nice. It's so lovely. And it would take her like five minutes to open a present because she didn't want to rip it. And I I, <laughs> I remember one morning, I finally just grabbed it out of her hand and said, here, Annie Pat, let me help you. And I just, just animaled my way through it like an animal from the Muppet Show. And I said, all right, there you go. Merry Christmas. And I still feel bad about that because she was just trying to be gentle. Just yeah, like Linda and, aging gently, my Andy Pat was trying to unwrap gently. <laughs> and it's the fun of opening the present. Not the slow open, don't get me wrong. But that it's just a waste of money to have that wrapping paper, but it's the it's the excitement of taking it off. Like the, all the gifts come in gift bags now, and you can just, you know, someone hands you a gift, and it's nice, but then you're like, I can see it. It's right there. When I started you know? dating Jackie the first Christmas at Jackie's house before we got married, everybody knew what each other was getting. I was like, this is ludicrous. Really? Yeah, we need That's to, so fun. We need fun to end this now. Basically, they all handed each other, here, go get me this. I'm like, no, no, this stops now. This stops <laughs> now. did it? It, it did. Now wow. there are surprises involved at, uh, at well uh, Christmas time. Thank you. I put my foot down. Also, if you want to make someone chuckle, uh, at least that's what I hope I'm doing. Um, if you don't have any wrapping paper, you just use a flyer if you've got flyers. <laughs> Superstore? Yeah. (laughs) We're freezing prices! (laughs) Hey, I got uh, coupons for co-op. Thanks, Brett. Um, So, Don... Use use election pamphlets. Save all those. I got a whole bunch of school trustee ones over the weekend. Um, Good quality paper, too. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. Mackling and McGarry back in studio at last after... 
fall of 2020, I think was the last time we shared a studio. Your guess is as good as mine. I usually can pull up stuff like that, but it's forever ago. How's that for an answer? I just look forward to the day where all three of us will be in the building. It's hard to imagine, Loren. We have this brand new studio, 30 floors above Portage in Maine, and we've yet to do a single solitary program out of the studio with all three of us present. But that day is the coming. Is it nigh? It's nigh. No, nigh might be too yeah. soon. What's pre-nigh? What's, what's nigh-ish? What's the word for nigh-ish? So that day is nigh-ish. <laughs> I don't want to pick a date because I feel like it'll just jinx everything. So Yeah, yeah don't pick a date. <laughs> um, our next guest sees our upcoming civic election as an inflection point. So he says that a new mayor and council need to implement visionary city building policies to fix Winnipeg's economic and geographic challenges. Brent Bellamy is senior design architect for Number 10 Architectural Group, and we want to say good morning to you. How's it going, Brent? I'm great. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Well, let's use that that term inflection point. You know, Richard Cloutier has a podcast he's been putting out uh, several times a week on various issues. I think today he's starting with some of the candidates, one-on-ones, and it's called Turning Point. And I think the name was chosen. We all talked about it, about the fact that we're at this fork in the road for the city. Do you? Why do you see this as an inflection point? You know, there's sort of um, every election, civic election kind of turns into, in the past, discussions about filling potholes, police budgets, those kinds of things. They sort of devolve into that. And I sort of see right now where there's a whole bunch of things sort of coming to a head. You know, we're facing, we, we used to just talk about do we believe in climate change, and now we're facing the reality of it every single day. And, you know, we're coming out of a pandemic which destroyed downtown, has just been catastrophic for downtown and for many businesses. And it's changed how we how we live, really, in almost every way. Um, we're seeing cost of living skyrocketing. We're ski- seeing poverty and homelessness like never before. And all of these things are coming together to make the elections that are happening this year and then, you know, in the next couple of years and other in, in federal and provincial to be really critical because we're at a point now where we can't just talk about the meat and potatoes. We have to, We have to really think about what the future is going to be. What are we going to give our children? Because the decisions we're making today are defining the city that we're giving to them. And and all of these issues are coming together at a head now. And we have to think really hard about how we're going to, you know, approach the solutions to these issues. Uh, Brent, it's Greg here. And there are Winnipeggers who seem to have given up on the downtown Downtown Winnipeg might as well be downtown. Pick your city. I have my own views on how you create a healthier heart of the city. You and I have had these discussions uh, over the years. Let me ask it this way, and I'm hoping we can boil it down to a one-word answer so we can move on. Can you have a healthy city without a healthy core? Definitely not. That's two words, but definitely not. (laughs) All right, we'll move on then. What are some of the visionary building policies you would like to see that might contribute to uh, not only uh, reimagined or redeveloping downtown, but other parts of the city as well that are are vital to the the long-term health of our community? You know, people don't want to hear it, but um, we have to allow greater density in our neighborhoods. It really all starts there. We begin to solve so many issues, climate change, 
even traffic. There's all kinds of things that we solve by just allowing more people to live in our neighborhoods, to allow uh, more diversity, you know, more people living there. Um, we, we've seen how people react when apartment buildings are, are proposed for their neighborhoods. They, they react against it and they, and they feel like it, it goes against the character of their neighborhood. But when we start to have more people, more diverse populations in the neighborhood, it creates a completely different city. We're, we're, most mature neighborhoods are now 30% less dense than they were in the 1970s because of, mostly because there's fewer people per house. So if you think of the, the cascading effect of that, where, where schools are, are less empty in the, in the center of the city while we're building brand new ones in the, in the new neighborhoods, because that's where all the growth is coming from, community centers, libraries, snow clearing, all the things that come with density, we are having to pay for exponentially because we have such low density. So all of, these, all of the issues come with having more people living closer together. I even... I came across a really staggering statistic that we actually add 8,000 cars per year to, to Winnipeg streets. There's 8,000 more cars every year in, on Winnipeg streets. That's an increase of 1% every eight months. So think about when you're sitting in traffic, how that's, why you're sitting in traffic, why there's so much traffic now, why there's so much wear on the roads. Because people, there's, we're adding 1% more cars every eight months, and we can't build our way out of that. So the solution is to have people dr- living closer to where they're driving to, driving less. You know, these are the solutions that will, will help um, solve most of the problems that we face. Where does our tree canopy fit into this discussion, Brent, about where our city is heading? You know, when you face climate change, um, we're not just talking about reducing the, our carbon footprint anymore. We're, we're talking about building cities that are actually resilient to climate change, the, the you know, heat having incredible, you know, runs of heat and polar vortexes and cold and, and the greater storm, uh, more storm systems coming through, like the intensity of, of the weather is just much higher. And the best way to build a resilient city, a climate resilient city, is to have trees because they absorb the, the runoff. They absorb the, the water. They, they cool our streets. They cool our homes. They, so you can use less air conditioning. They, they really solve so many problems. And they honestly just make the city a better place to live. They improve our quality of life. And, you know, to me, I think that's an easy win for any politician. I don't think there's anybody that hates trees. Uh, So I I think everybody sort of getting on board to to solve the loss of our our tree canopy, we're actually replacing one tree for every three that we lose. And we're losing more trees than ever before because of the the two beetles that have moved in and are, are basically destroying our tree canopy. I don't think there's anyone that hates trees either, but just as an aside, now that you've thrown that down, you know there's going to be one of those people texting in right now with their hatred of trees. But it's ridiculous. It's the small ideas, right, Brent? Like, I think when we say vision, we think it has to be this one big thing, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to bring this to downtown Winnipeg, or I'm going to add this one thing. But it's the little little ideas that add up along the way that make a city so much more livable. That's definitely what it is. It's not one gigantic move. It's It's just even doing things like creating a civic policy where the government doesn't tell a developer how much parking they have to have in their development. Right now, that is a, that's a law. You have to have 1.5 parking stalls for every home that's created. And that, that has a real cascading effect all the way along on how much surface parking we have, how much, where we can develop buildings, you know, the impact on, of the size of our city. It's all, it has a cascading effect. So just little moves like changing how we 
require parking in new developments has a, a real effect. And there's so many different policies like that that can that can have long-term impact on the city that you know happens in 30 years. Infrastructure and investments and such is at top of mind. And, and one of the, the leading candidates for mayor wants to extend Chief Pegwa's trail and, and spend you know, what's going to end up being half a billion dollars to replace the St. James Bridge and widen Route 90. Um, I, once again, have my thoughts on that. But are there better ways to be spending that money? Is there better ways to be using the existing infrastructure? Where, where do you come out on that in terms of of funding infrastructure? And there might be a point that, you know, for industry and business, you need to have uh, some sort of uh, functioning inner perimeter because the outer perimeter doesn't exactly function the way most of us uh, would like it to. Where's your stance on that, Brent? You know, it's a real tough one. I'm definitely against spending a billion dollars to add, or half a billion dollars to add two lanes to uh, three kilometers of Keniston, just because that's such a massive, uh, think about what we could do with half a billion dollars. Think about how many homes you could build for homeless people. Like, I hate to go down that road, but um, really, I see Keniston and uh, and those other uh, choke points in our city as land use problems, not really street problems. We wouldn't have the problem with Keniston if we didn't, if we thought about where we were going to grow the city instead of growing all out in that direction. You know, if we were smarter about it, and really, it comes back to the density that I was talking about: building, building more city in our existing footprint instead of building it out on the perimeters as much as we do. We reduce the need to invest in those new streets, and maybe Keniston is too far along, and we just sort of have to bite the bullet and do it. But as we grow, thinking about where we grow helps with infrastructure investments in the future. The more we can grow inside our existing footprint, the less we have to spend on building new infrastructure. And we don't get into the the situation where, yeah, we've built all that commercial and residential out there, and now we have to spend a billion dollars on these two roads. If we put the commercial and residential in better places using the existing infrastructure, we don't get into that problem. So maybe those those two issues are too far gone and we have to just do it, but we need to, in the future, really think about how we build our city so we don't get in that situation. We have to make these investments that are going to really cripple the budgets of our city. We only have about a minute here, Brent, but uh, we just wanted to get your feedback on this. Uh, one of the things we've been talking about is people who live just outside the city in the capital region. Uh, some are saying they would like to be able to vote for mayor, even though they don't live within the city limits. What What's your take on that? Well, if they want to pay taxes in the city, that would be... <laughs> I might be okay with that. I mean, that that is definitely, we do have to think more about our capital region because the city does um, pay a lot of, for infrastructure and things like that that are supporting people that are living outside of the city and then using c- city resources. So I think it's important that we do have a uh, a capital region plan that does deal with sort of the how we provide services to people who aren't paying taxes within the city itself. And, and, and maybe that does mean having some kind of say in, in how the civic government runs. Uh, many, many words on this in the Winnipeg Free Press. I, was that yesterday, Brent? Or is uh, that today? It came out on, online on Wednesday, and then it came out on Friday in the newspaper. Okay, if you want to catch up with that, Brent Bellamy, design architect, senior design architect for number 10 architectural group urbanist and uh just so everybody's clear you love winnipeg i get that a lot i definitely love winnipeg i've chosen to be here that's i just want it to be the best winnipeg it can be all right brent well we appreciate your insight as always thank you very much for the time 
Thank you. Now that you're downtown, let's go for lunch. Brent Bellamy joining us live on 680 CJOB, making lunch plans. Tipsy cow. Just celebrated its fifth anniversary, apparently. Mac and we and I were thinking we have never been there. It's right around the block Where on is Portage it? Avenue. It's it's uh, Portage and Smith. Oh yes, I know what it is. Yeah, I think it's a burger place, right? Yes, it's burgers. It looks really good too. I don't know why. As and beer. No- I don't know why you haven't been there. <laughs> Put the beer first if you want. It's literally the name just should speak to you. Tipsy Cow? I mean, I don't even know. I know. What's taken so Almost long? Almost custom ordered. Yeah. For us. What's been what's taken this long? And and, and beef. <laughs> <laughs> then maybe that'll be my post gala meal next week because we gotta host a gala together on Tuesday and I need to deflate, not inflate further. <laughs>